This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by Dr. Richard Blackaby. Well, it's good to be with you in 2023, yeah. Sam, as we're progressing onward into the new year. Into the future, new year, new you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have, you, uh, have you broken any of your resolutions Well, this year I'm yet? actually just getting ready to start the resolutions. <laughs> <laughs> as you know, I uh, had a, my oldest son, Mike, kind of a delayed uh, visit, and so we had all the food out and everything yeah. and, and uh, just a house full of kids. And so a lot of exercise health uh, resolutions anyway are going to are starting today. Yeah. Uh, they got companies gone. I threw away a ton of leftover baking and uh, now we're hitting, hitting the road here and getting, getting serious. Yeah. Well, you always wait till after you've, you've eaten through all the sugar and then you say that's right now now it begins <laughs> yes i'm going to start eating very seriously but there aren't any more like brownies left are there <laughs> <laughs> well, just one more uh well we hope uh all of our listeners had uh, a good holiday season yeah hopefully time with family and friends and uh we just uh, it's exciting i'm always excited in january to look at a new year and uh, it, it's just uh, it's a feeling good and it's it's a good time uh, well, as as you know, Richard, uh, churches, uh, as with everyone else, went through COVID over the past few years, and, and it was sort of a test of uh, maybe a uh, an un an unwanted or unexpected health check uh, for the church mm-hmm. uh, to go through something like that, and um, many of them, uh, I think, statistically. They lost about 30% of their attendance or of their attendees. And uh, it sounds like a lot of those haven't necessarily returned, even though, you know, COVID has more or less subsided and things are kind of back to at least a new normal. Um, What do we, what, you know, what do you see when you look at that? What do you make of that? Um, How should churches be responding to sort of a, a fairly significant um, loss in in their attendance. Yeah, Sam, I think you're right. I think uh, COVID certainly rocked the world in many ways, um, but certainly it did the church. And uh, coming out of COVID, the statistics early on, at least, uh, seemed to suggest that uh, churches on average across the board were running about 30% less in attendance than they had been before COVID. And And uh, that was a wake-up call for a lot of pastors, a lot of church leaders who uh, felt like COVID, for whatever else it was, certainly it did provide a test to the health and resilience of the church. And there were a lot of pastors that I've talked to that were quite discouraged and disappointed with uh, the people who left their church. Uh, And sometimes for the flimsiest of reasons, the shallowest of of uh, motives and just um, oftentimes uh, so enraptured with what the world was saying, what the news was saying, and yet illiterate when it came to what God's word said. And uh, and yet a lot of the pastors have had to confess and say, well, but I'm the one who discipled those people. I was the one responsible for their spiritual maturity. And clearly I failed because when the test came, they did not act very spiritually mature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as I've talked to uh, people, they keep saying, I, I think um, 
that I've got to get back to the primary calling of the church, which is uh, to make disciples. And we've talked a bit about this before, but um, what a lot of pastors have said to me is, I inadvertently was making church attenders. I was Mm -hmm. not making disciples. And so I was just trying to get people in the building every week. And so we would have uh, extravagant worship experiences and a nice facility and and, an attractive sign and and various uh, online marketing. And we were thrilled when we filled up the chairs and the the pews. But but then an epidemic comes along and all of a sudden the pews are emptying. And it, it didn't take all that much. Or just a, another exciting church opens up down the street, and our church attenders are now attending somewhere else. Uh, and or uh, we, they, people come to our services every week, and then they just act so foolishly, so ignorantly when it comes to coping with uh, culture today and all the different divisive issues where you think that Christians would handle it much more maturely than non-Christians, and yet they act the very same way. And so yeah. um, and so, what a lot of church leaders are saying to me is, we've got to get back to making disciples, not just church attenders, not just people who believe in Jesus, but actual disciples of Jesus. And of course, uh, in Matthew chapter 28, at the end of the last couple of verses there in that gospel, Jesus, before he ascends back to heaven, Uh, gives his final command in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and he says, go into all the world and make disciples. Uh, That's the last thing Jesus says before he leaves, make disciples of all nations. Uh, And and he he gives that command uh, to everybody, not just to the the 12 apostles, uh, not just to the the key leaders in the church, everybody there that's in, in front of him. Uh, he says, all of you make disciples. And so uh, that is the driving force. And by the way, that was the strategy to reach the world. Uh, he did not say, okay, you're, you're, you, you folks are apostles. You, you've walked with me physically for three and a half years, so you, you can do miracles. Uh, so get out there and launch crusades in all the major cities. Uh, get all the, the local believers to sponsor a citywide crusade and and rent out the local arena and um, try to fill it up with uh, with Traveling people tent revival or something. Yeah, uh, he could have done that, but he he could have said just perform a couple of miracles that really catch captures everyone's attention and then uh, share the gospel and let's get all the converts we can. But that's not what Jesus said. He said the way that we we'll, we will reach the world is one making one disciple at a time. And so I want us to look at what Jesus did. And of course, there's an, uh, we'll probably unpack this a bit further uh, later, but in Mark chapter one, verses 16 to 20, Jesus shows up by the, the boats of uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John. And, uh, and basically he invites them and says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And um, the interesting thing uh, to note is th- what he what he actually asked them to do and what he doesn't ask them to do. Uh, he doesn't ask them, uh, believe in me. He doesn't sit, stand there by their boat and say, I just want you all to believe in me. He doesn't just say, I want, I want to make you all converts. Uh, you know, just sign this, uh, this, uh, 
form here that says you've just placed your faith in Christ. Yeah. He wasn't asking uh, for professions of faith. Yeah, he was, uh, he was inviting them to become followers. Uh, disciples are not people who believe in Jesus. Disciples are people who follow Jesus. Mm. Um, he doesn't ask them to worship him. Although when, you, when they do follow him, they will end up worshiping him because as they follow him, they're going to watch him calm a storm that they think is about to kill them. And he, they're going to watch him raise dead people back to life. And in the process of following him, they'll have many opportunities to genuinely worship him. Uh, it doesn't, he doesn't ask them to just sit there in your boat and I'm going to lecture you every day and teach you all the doctrines that you need to believe so that you can be a good Christian. Uh, they will develop their theology, but it will come out of their relationship with him. And, uh, and so there's a lot of things he does. Now, all those things are important, you know, teaching and believing and worshiping. All those things are critical to the Christian life, but all of them come out of following. And of course, following reflects a relationship. You can't, when you follow someone, especially in those days, uh, you walked along the road with them. You shared meals with them. You slept uh, together, uh, you know, out under the stars or in a uh, someone's home, and you kind of crammed into a couple of rooms and laid down. And uh, you you spent you did life together. And in the process of doing life with Jesus, you're transformed, and you learn, and you worship, and you grow and you mature. And when Jesus is finished discipling you, which really is a lifelong process, but uh, as he as he has done his work in you, uh, then he turns around and says, now you go and do the same thing with others. You make disciples. And you, you develop other people that now follow Jesus as well. And so what I want us to talk about uh, for the next couple of podcasts is what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, and how does Jesus make disciples? Um, and I, I want us just to drop in for a little while into the process Jesus used when he made disciples, the original disciples, and understand two things. One, recognize that Jesus doesn't have a different model for you. I mean, he won't physically be with you like he was with the 12, mm-hmm. but by his Spirit, his Holy Spirit is going to go through the same process in walking with you and discipling you. And so if you want to know what to expect from Jesus, just watch and see what he did with the 12. But also, as we saw in Matthew 28, Jesus commanded you and me to make disciples as well. So uh, he didn't just say, if you're the pastor of a church, make disciples. He said, if you are a disciple, you will make a disciple. I want us to kind of look at what Jesus did because we need to be doing the same thing with others. And so I want us to look, uh, we'll, we'll begin, and I, I want us to walk through uh, Luke chapter 9, and uh, we'll just kind of get started in this podcast and over the next couple of podcasts. I just want us to walk through uh, this chapter because I think it's very insightful into the way Jesus made disciples. And uh, and of course, he's got the 12 with him. And uh, and so just let's just kind of begin. We'll we'll take a break here in just a moment. But um, but let's take a look at just what he does. And so Luke uh, chapter nine, uh, beginning in verse one, it says summoning the 12. <laughs> and I, I kind of like the the 
the word summoning, it kind of reflects the fact that he is the Lord. He's God. Yeah. He can summon uh, if he wants. He there doesn't... are those who summon and there are those who are summoned. <laughs> yes, right. And we are the summoned. Uh, yeah. And, uh, G- but Jesus, and by the way, sometimes we, we, we almost act as if we're doing Jesus a favor when we get up early and have a quiet time. You know, uh, Jesus, yeah. I hope you appreciate the sacrifice exactly. I made for you. I'm not a morning person here. And so this was not easy. I would have rather stayed in bed. Um, I, I just like the word summon because when Jesus summons, we just, we need to show up promptly and he summons the 12, of course, the 12 disciples. And I think what's interesting is that what it's going to go on to say is he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So I think we, we, we can't ever forget this pattern because Basically, Jesus is doing two things. First, he draws the disciples into himself. Uh, he he meets with them. He fellowships with them. He equips them. Then he sends them out. And for a lot of people, we're kind of impatient with the summoning in part. We're, we're doers. Um, and I've had people say this uh, repeatedly to me. Uh, they'll say, you know, I'm not that, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person of action. I don't want to sit around and uh, just navel gaze here in the presence of God. I want to get out there and make things happen. I'm going to go make converts. I'm going to gain new territory for the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem is, if you haven't spent time with Jesus first, you've got nothing to give to, to others when you go out. And too often we're going out there to evangelize, but we've got nothing really to offer people. And so the process Jesus always uses is, is first for people to draw closely into him. And it's, it's never just, well, let's just have a warm, fuzzy time here, folks. Oh, group, no, no, group hug. You know, it's like, no, it's, that's yeah. never, that's never why. I mean, it's great to enjoy God's presence. You love him. You want to be with him. But when Jesus draws you into himself, it's always to equip you for what he knows you're going to be facing. And, uh, and I found that even just with daily quiet times that we don't know what we're going to face. I mean, we can see our schedule. We can see our calendar. We see our appointments for the day. But we have no idea what phone calls we'll get, what emails will come in, what problem will show up at our office door. And suddenly we've got, we're swept up into a crisis we have to deal with. Um, we, we're not sure what we'll, we'll have waiting for us when we get home at the end of the day and one of our kids. Uh, and so when we, when God summons us into his presence, it's always to prepare us and equip us and empower us for what he knows is coming. And so don't, don't miss that. Uh, as we've said many times, you, you can't give to others what you don't have yourself. And so the, the, the greatest gift that you can give to others is, to spend time in God's presence so he fills you up and equips you for everything that he knows you're going to be facing. So it says that he, he gave them two things in particular. He gave them power. And of course, that word power is the word uh, dunamis that we'd get the word dynamite from, which most people have heard that, which I, which I don't want us to miss that. Uh, when it, the, the same word that we get our word dynamite from is the same word here that it's saying, Jesus gave them the power. Uh, he's not talking about a little, you know, double A battery. <laughs> he's, he's talking about 
dynamite power. And yeah. he is, uh, he's saying, you're going to need all of this. I wouldn't be giving it to you if you didn't need it. Uh, by the way, I, I don't know if you've ever stopped to just look at your calendar and say, I wonder what in my calendar today is going to require the dynamite power of God. Uh, what am I attempting today? What problem am I addressing? What person am I trying to help find freedom uh, today that's going to require dynamite power? The, the sad thing is, for a lot of us, we don't schedule anything in our day that requires the power of God at all. If you're on your agenda, you may not need the power of God. If you get on God's agenda during the day, you will need the power of God. And so God gives you and of course, not everything you do requires the full power of God. Um, there, there are different degrees of challenges you may face in the day. But whatever level of the power of God you do require for today, God wants to make sure you have it uh, as you go into it. And then he also gives you authority. And I think this is always, this is often quite misunderstood. Uh, it is never your authority. It's always God's authority. You are just an ambassador. Uh, the only, you know, it's, it, I, I, I notice this whenever there's a new, like, new president in the United States. Uh, the day that the new president takes over, all the White House staff before the, them, they, just like that, they have no authority anymore. Mm. They might have been the, 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 you know, the, the White House uh, press secretary. They might have been... Uh, Secretary of State or whatever else, they might have had some real influential positions, uh, but they're only they only have those positions because the president has asked them to serve in his cabinet. But once that president's not the president anymore, just like that, they they don't have any power. It, there's yeah. there's they have no power of their own. It's all given to them, and it it will all be taken away. You can be fired at any time at the discretion of the president. Uh, and that's just the way it is. And so, but I, but I, sometimes I hear Christians talk as if they can just kind of bark out orders and, and command demons and, and, uh, you know, make great claims in faith believing. Uh, but they just need to remember the the only authority you have is the authority you have as a child of God, as an ambassador of Christ. And so it's, it's all given to you, but it's not your authority. It's his. Yeah. And, and so of course, when you're doing God's work, uh, and, uh, you know, by the way, if you're like the secretary of state uh, appointed by the president, uh, affer- confirmed by the Senate, uh, you can that gives you automatic uh, power and authority. But uh, only when you're really doing presidential kinds of things, uh, you, you can't go home at the end of the day and start barking out orders to your spouse and saying, hey, don't, don't you know who I am? I have I have the powers of the secretary of state. Well, you know, your your wife or your husband are going to say that has that has no jurisdiction in this household. Yeah. Uh, you don't have power here, and so I think we have to be kind of careful too uh, that when God gives us power, it is in order to do His work. Uh, so when we're doing God's work and we're doing God's agenda, then we have authority, we have power. But that doesn't make us anything special. It doesn't mean that in every area of life now we have the prerogative just to. Uh, tell people what to do. Yeah, he didn't give you power to be a hall monitor. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. yeah. That's not that's not his purposes. Uh, yeah. 
If you've ever wondered how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda, then consider attending Blackaby Ministries Spiritual Leadership Coaching Workshop April 17th to the 19th at Johnson Ferry Baptist Church in Marietta, Georgia. Not only is there great teaching at this workshop, but you will also get to practice what you learn. Use code EARLYBIRD at checkout for a special discount. To find out more and to register, visit blackabycoaching.org slash workshop. Links will be in the show notes. You know, of course, this verse, first verse is just kind of a summary verse. Uh, it's not getting into all the details, but it says that he gave them power and authority over two things, over demons and to heal diseases. And of course, demons, that's a that's an interesting uh, concept because uh, what you do notice, by the way, if you, if you read through the Bible, if you just start at the beginning and you read right through to the end, what you notice is that there are certain places in the Bible where demons tend to show up a lot more than others. Uh, There's whole books of the Bible where demons are never mentioned. Uh, And of course, you you have Satan early on uh, bringing about the fall of humanity. There's a lot at stake at the beginning, and Satan shows up to try to thwart God's uh, will. Uh, and then, uh, and then there, there are whole books of the Bible where you really, you don't see Satan, you don't see demons, but then certainly, uh, when, uh, Jesus appears in the gospels, that's probably where you're going to see the most demons, uh, in the books there. And it would be in the gospels. And, uh, you know, some people would say, uh, well, that's probably because, uh, you know, sort of like D-Day. I mean, Jesus had landed in, Nor- in Normandy and uh, he has invaded the earth and Satan and, and his uh, forces have entrenched themselves in societies and in government and uh, uh, they have all kinds of strongholds. And now Jesus has landed uh, and is going to retake, reclaim that territory. And so the demons, of course, come out in full force to oppose him. Uh, it might also mean that th- those demons have always been there they've always been working, but they've been the powers of darkness. And as long as everything was dark, you didn't really see much about them. They kind of blended in. It was just a dark culture. You think about Canaan before Joshua shows up with the Israelites and their people are having sex in the temple and with prostitutes and calling it worship. Uh, and most people believe that a lot of the false religions, the, the idols that were worshipped, were, were basically demons. Uh, they were demons dressed up as gods. And, uh, and only a demon would, uh, for instance, uh, convince people to sacrifice their children on an altar so that they'd have a bumper crop that year on their farm. Yeah. Uh, and so the demons were just embedded in culture. Uh, and, but then when Jesus shows up, in physical form, uh, it's like light is introduced into a dark room. And all of a sudden, the dark is agitated. It, it, it wasn't agitated when everything else was dark anyway. But now that a light has entered, it's disturbing all the darkness. And so in one sense with the Gospels, uh, you see light entering the picture. And now the, everywhere Jesus goes, it seems, he's He's kind of bringing to the surface, out into the light, the demons that are that are embedded in that culture. And so I, I think to me, demons just represent evil. They're the, Im, 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 the you know, the embodiment uh, of what evil represents. It, it doesn't get any more evil 
than a demon. And I, I personally believe that uh, behind, behind the scenes, much of the just depravity, the evil, uh, the genocides, so much of that goes far beyond what an, a, a normal person would ever do, commit. You'd, you'd have to be so depraved, so in bondage to evil that I just believe that it was, it's demonic, that uh, there have been demons who just so blinded and, and uh, enslaved people that they use them to commit some of the worst atrocities in human history. And so, uh, so when, when Jesus says, I'm giving you all power and authority over demons, I think what he's saying is, uh, there is no evil that you can face that I will not give you power to overcome. Mm-hmm. And so he just, he, I mean, he could have given a list of uh, two dozen types of evil that they might face. And he could have said, but you'll have enough power for that. You'll have enough power for that. Instead, he just kind of mentions the, the worst of the lot, the, the most evil of all, demons, and says there is no demon that you don't have the power and authority to overcome. And uh, so I think what that means for us is when we draw near uh, to Christ today in our life, he will empower us to face whatever degree of evil we face in our workplace, in our churches, in our personal lives, uh, that there'll be no one so in bondage to Satan that we don't have the power and authority that's adequate to set people free. And so we don't have to be afraid of evil uh, because we have, because as, as it says in first John, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And so if you've got the Holy spirit within you, there is nothing that a demon can throw at you that can overcome the Holy spirit within you. And so I, you know, I think this first verse really spells out, I think why you want to draw in here, why he summons you first. He says, no, don't go out into that messy, evil, uh, corrupt world unless you've got uh, my authority and my power to overcome anything that you're going to face. Good. Well, I think this is a great um, introduction to uh, <laughs> what will probably be a uh, uh, several-part series. It will be. Is my, is my guess. We, we won't put a number on it, so you're, <laughs> you're free to make it as many as you want. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to walking through uh, just seeing how Jesus made disciples and how we as leaders uh, can do likewise. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.